Hi, I'm Ryan Dodge-Cook and this is Summit to Talk About, your one-stop podcast for all things hiking, hills, wild camping and the great outdoors. I hope you're all enjoying making plans for the hiking season. Spring is here and the next minute it's not, but one thing's for sure, the days are longer and that is exciting. I mentioned in the last episode that I was taking part in the Robust Tours North Yorkshire Ultra event. I hiked 50 kilometres from Scarborough to Runswick Bay along the Cleveland Way. What an epic day out that was. A real physical and mental challenge, but wow, what an actual day out. And if you fancy challenging yourself, please check out Robust Tours because there's another ultra event planned later in the year. Doing the West Island Way, doing the 50k ultra and long days out in the hills has made me realise that I really do love long distance hiking and I definitely want to do more and more of it. Which seamlessly leads me to the shout out to Hiker, the best app for planning your hiking adventures with now over 8,000 trails loaded into the app, there's plenty to inspire you. Whether it's a day hike or a multi-day adventure, there'll be something to tickle your toes. The app is free to download, but you can upgrade to Hiker Pro and unlock all the cool features using the code STTA at checkout. For this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Russ Morehouse, also known as A Mountain Vivi, who spent the last year camping out on each of the 214 Wainwrights Fells, set a world record and wrote a book. So, without further ado, here he is. Okay, so I'm now joined by Russ Morehouse, also known as A Mountain Vivi, also known as best-selling author uh, for his new book. Welcome onto the podcast, Russ. Hi Ryan, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's been a long time coming this because you've done uh, a massive, a ma- well, you, your year has been absolutely epic, and as such, it's been difficult to get hold of you. <laughs> we st- we started talking <laughs> last year on uh, on Instagram, and I was trying to get hold of you to get you onto the podcast then. But actually, in hindsight, now it's probably best because that year is now put to bed. <laughs> Excuse the pun. That's now gone to sleep. Fell asleep. Um, because you, we can talk about the whole process now and, um, and and talk about what's next, I guess. So so let's just put it into context, first of all. Russ, what is it that you've done over the past year that's been quite significant? Yeah, so what I did was I decided I wanted an adventure. For, I worked in a bank previously, 15 years, and I used to read mountain books. That was my hobby, and I used to go wild camping with a friend once a year and you know, not very often, but I used to love getting into the mountains when I could. And then I decided reading the book and all of these heroes of mine, I wanted to be like one of them for a little bit in my own way, in the way that I could do it. So I wasn't the best climber in the world. I wasn't going to be able to climb the north face of the Eiger. I wasn't the fastest runner like Steve Birkinshaw, so I couldn't run around all of Wainwrights in seven days. But uh, what I was good at was sleeping. So uh, <laughs> I decided I was going to sleep on top of all 214 Wainwrights. Um, so in one of the books I read, Nan Shepard's famous books, he talks about how when you sleep on a mountain, you get a special bond with it. And it's true because I was doing a, a fell run one day and I ran past three places where I'd camped. And out of this 10-mile run, those three specific spots brought back special memories, top of Yoke, behind the wall on Thornthwaite Crag. And then on Cordill Moor, and I was like, oh, I've camped there. Oh, and it just actually really resonated with me that I was special. And then I thought, imagine what it'd be like to have camped on every single mountain in the Lake District and have that with all of them. 
And that's what I did. And then I finished that on the 26th of February. So, yeah, it feels great. It feels uh, quite proud of myself. It was tough, not very tough towards seven storms in February made it a hard finish. But that's what I planned. So I did the easy, easy half, spring, summer at the beginning. Then it got tougher as it went on. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So it was a good, good achievement. And some people understand how hard it was and they like it. And other people think, well, it's camping on a mountain, it's all been done before, but it's like anything like that, isn't it? There's, there's people who like it and people who are jealous of what you've done, I suppose, in some way. Yeah, so. absolutely, and that's the one of the cruel things, I guess, about social media is you get the keyboard warriors and, and people who will poo-poo anybody's great ideas, but actually it is a magnificent achievement to be able to get... I mean, people people will probably see that as inspiration now and go off and do it and i think that that will become a thing in much the same way that the wainwrights fells did initially so you just said there that the the books that inspired you i'm guessing wainwrights was one of those um having seen all the walks that he did all the fells that he's walked up and you thought i want to now follow in his footsteps but do something slightly different and and do it in your own way and i can see that that will now become a thing people who say oh i'm walking the wainwrights people will be next going on to I'm going to be sleeping the Wainwrights. I can, I can definitely see that coming. Yeah, I know. Well, that's, you know, I'd love that. I mean, that's kind of, you know, it's been a success when that happens and people are getting inspired by it. And at the beginning, it wasn't really about inspiring people. I didn't really give that a thought. I didn't think anybody would be that interested at the beginning. I just, it started off, I got a friend who we go camping with every first week in September every year because he's got kids same age as mine. And for the last few years, we've talked about, oh, imagine having a year in the mountains. And he was like, oh, everyone think you're a dosser, wouldn't they? Or they might think it's good. Or they might think you're just like skiving off for a year. And then the chap who wrote the book of the bivvy, Ronald Turnbull, he's like, he's 70 now, but he's, his book's really, this little guide books, but he's got a real style of being funny with the way he writes and that like, informative as well. So it's a really good blend. So really liked his books and picked out some good routes that he wrote. And then once I had the idea, I just thought, I'd never been on social media before it started. And my kids said, oh, Dad, this is good to put on Instagram because if you can document every day what you've done and it'll build as it goes along. So I opened this Instagram account last November. And then, uh, yeah, that was when I had the first idea and then started putting things on when I started the adventure. And it turned out quite successful. It was really nice having people like interested in what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, um, you're over 10,000 followers now on Instagram. That's that's quite an achievement yeah. in itself. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I mean, that was a surprise. And, like, somebody told me, it's like, this horrible word, isn't it? The influencer, is it? But yeah. uh, I got loads of free gear, which was good. And then there's one company, and got down to a contract where I would have been paid for doing posts. And the day after doing that, I put a picture of their product on, not in a good light, and we fell out, so I took it off straight away. <laughs> but that was the end of my influencer days, so I don't make any money from Instagram. And I realised I don't want to, because then you're forced into saying, this is good, even if it's not good, yeah. and I don't like that. So all the free gear I've had has been brilliant, but it's not the same as if you buy stuff, you get exactly right. If it's free gear, it's nice, but it doesn't go. It's like the waterproof jacket kept me dry, but it was purple and green, but I still wore it because it was free, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was good. Yeah. So we, you, your name on Instagram then, a mountain bivvy, suggesting that you, your bivvying is is the, the key thing. Obviously, you've done, you've camped in tents as well. 
Oh, yes. Had it started yeah. off from a young age then? Has Bivian been your thing rather yeah. than camping? Uh, well, I've just started both. So, yeah, the first time I went wild camping was with a friend. We were only sort of 14, which was – my son's 15 now. And thought of him going off on his own. He's like, he's never going to do that because he just – nowadays, I don't think kids do that. And Maybe we live in a different place. But we went off to the Wayne Stones, which is over in the northeast. And we got one of the dads dropped us off and we hiked for two days, camped one night, then hiked a full day, camped again, and then got picked up. And we were really young. We had tents then, but I just loved it. It was like the whole being in the wild and everything. So that was like the first time I did it. And I've always enjoyed camping in the tents. The name of Mountain Bivy, that came from, I had a Twitter account a couple of years before. I did the Bob Graham. So I walked around, the, I just walked it on my own. Uh, so I started Thursday morning at 8 o'clock. So I was doing it on my own. I started from Dunmail Rays. So I could go to Keswick, if you know the route, in the middle, yeah. top up on supplies and finish off. And I had to create a name. And you have to have a second name. So I put Russ Morehouse in the Twitter. And then what's your name? So I put at a mountain bivvy. Because that was like my location, as it were. I'm at a mountain <laughs> bivvy. So I took my bivvy bag with me. And it took me two nights. And I finished at 8 o'clock on the Saturday night. So it was like 60 hours from start to finish and about 48 of walking, which is you know, half the speed of the runners and stuff, which was good. And then I didn't know at the time, no, but on the Sunday after that, that was when Killian Johnny did his famous round. Right. So Killian Johnny turned and ran it all in under 12 hours or something. And he finished with huge crowds at Moot Hall. And then on the Monday, and I went back to work, I told everyone, the weekend I did the Bob Graham round, a new record was set. <laughs> yeah. didn't, didn't say, didn't say who, who set it. <laughs> no, not me, obviously, so I'm not fast enough. But, uh, yeah, so that's that detail. So, right, that's where the name comes from. And so what is, I'm going to have to ask for the preference now, camping or bivvying, what's your favourite? Uh, bivvying, I prefer bivvying, but it's, you can't do it night after night, so they're very different. So a bivy bag's great if you're sort of going on a big hike and you you have to walk late, so it's just about the sleeping in a bivy. So if you fill your day with hiking and then sleep in your bivy bag, get up early and then hike off again, which is great. Whereas a tent, there's a lot more rigmarole. You have to carry it up, set it up. But when you couldn't bivy bag, well, I couldn't bivy bag. That's a new challenge for someone, 240 nights in a row, because you just you get wet and you... You get you haven't got the comfort. Whereas actually, I got to the stage when I was doing the camping inside my tent. That was my home, so I was sort of looking forward to getting back home. So rather than living at the ground and imagining you're going up for the day and coming back, I kind of lived in the tent, and then I had to climb down the mountain, get food, change whatever I needed to change, climb back up the mountain to get back to home, set my tent up. Because in winter it gets dark at about four o'clock. Yeah, so, I was going to say that it must have been difficult yeah. when it, when it got dark early because you you're spending a long time then, aren't you? inside your well not in your bivy bag in those in those time of year yeah you spend a long time in a tent yeah so i mean i got the stage i had to walk up or down in the dark sort of in december because you couldn't spend i couldn't didn't have time to stay there throughout the full darkness and then get down and up again so i really sort of enjoy walking in the mountains in the dark that's like one of the best bits it's great being on your own but it's even nighttime in the dark and you got the torch and it's, the hills seem so much different mm. so that's for me the top best bit of all of it was being on the top of the mountains at the nights when it was deserted and there was no one else around and you could look for miles and I think how how near was the nearest person? It might have been like three miles away or a mile away or out of sight, you know, you don't know where they were. That whole 
feeling that the Lake District isn't busy at all. Obviously, there are tourist hotspots and stuff, but up on the mountaintops is just you know so different. So it's yeah. just I yeah, really loved it. Really loved it. We'd love to do it again. I don't know what comes next. To be honest, that's I kept mentioning sleeping with whales because that's a similar sort of challenge. Hundred eighty nine Welsh mountains. Yeah. But I funded this one myself, so as case, could I get funding for that another year off? Yeah. And would I want to, having known what it was like, could I go through it all again, you know? That's, uh... <laughs> the ups and downs, obviously now you can sit and look at all the ups and that that will probably be at the forefront of your mind, but there must have been a fair few down moments as well whilst you were doing it, and not least the weather. And you've just mentioned yes. there, February was the time that you finished doing this. And we've had some horrendous weather, haven't we, in 2022? So, I mean, yes. what, what would you say would be would be your the, the worst part of the whole thing? Uh, yeah, I mean, the weather, I don't know, I had the mindset for the full year that the bad weather was a challenge. So there wasn't, I didn't get beaten down like I have done in the past. I remember once camping like a few years ago and I went out to try to do two nights because I'd only ever been wild camping for one night like at that end of, for quite a good few years so I was like I'm gonna try to do two nights alone in the mountains on my own that was about six seven years ago so I did one night and then the weather turned really bad and I was like oh it's rubbish so I ended up going back to the car before the end we've all and been there <laughs> yeah, if I couldn't do two nights, how can I do so many? In but fact, like... you mentioned the bad weather and you mentioned doing that. I went out to do a wild camp in the Lake District a few weekends back. And uh, you was out that night because I saw the oh, video. Right. It was one of your last ones. And uh, yeah. you'd, you'd gone through with it. I'd gone back to the car. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> I can't believe it. Oh, why have I given up? <laughs> <laughs> I know. There's that bit at night time when you feel like you could give up and you think, this is my chance. Oh, and then I have to tough it out. But when you do wait till the morning, it's always like glorious because the weather's normally changed a bit. You know, the weather's, the wind's calmed down a bit. Or it's so bad, but you're so relieved because you've got that feeling of, you know, having having stayed out the full night. so That's a great feeling, yeah. though, that, isn't it? You know, when you go to bed, you go to sleep, and it's it's absolutely hammering it down. The wind's battering. You think, I'm not going to be able to sleep in this because it's so noisy and so yes. miserable. And then you do fall asleep. When you wake up, it's just calm, and the tent's yeah. not flapping. You open the door, and the yes. sun's breaking through. What a great feeling that is. Yeah, I know. That is, that is the highlight. I mean, the, the views in the morning, because they're the best times to be there. You know, up in like yeah, sunset and sunrise, and the, the lights better, isn't it? All artists know the lights better yeah. at that time, and just it just. I took lots of pictures, but I spent a lot of time looking without taking pictures, just to try and absorb, you know, absorb it all for myself because it's so nice. Yeah, Did, and, uh, was you quite strategic in where you placed your your tent because. So I know sometimes for me I'll get up there and I think right where's the sun gonna where's the sun gonna rise where's it gonna set do I want to see the sunset or the sunrise or can I get somewhere where I can get both and a bit of shelter was yes. you ever like that or was you just like I need to just get the tent up and get the sleep yeah I mean I was all of that on different days I needed to get a good photo every day because in my book I've got one different photo every day so I needed to get a photo that summed up the day so. If it was good weather, I wanted like a glorious shot shot to the sunset or position it for the sunrise if you think that's going to be better. Or if it's bad weather to get a good shot. Uh, and it's the winds and then mobile signal as well. Because I spent a lot of time there on my own. It was quite nice when I had signal at night. Yeah. But when you dip in, sleep in a hollow, you never get a signal because you're just hidden away on top of the mountain. Obviously, the, well, I don't know how phones work, but they never get to you in that spot. So the best spot for signal is like on the top, you know, 
stick it up like an aerial, but then you're exposed to all the elements. So every day was sort of weighing up the pros and cons of what was what would be the best. And sometimes I got it wrong. So on Steinbarrow Dodd, that was in May in the snow, uh, like the May snows we had, yeah. incredible, it's so thick. You know, I got to the top and it was, it was snowing on the way up, but at the top it was sort of clear. So you had amazing views across to the central fells and you could just see the white peaks of the mountains and the snow was only on the high up. So lower down on the road, it was still sort of green or brownie sort of course. So you had that big contrast that was lovely. Yeah, that was and quite then, unique that time last year, wasn't it, in May, where yeah. it just came out of nowhere as well, didn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I had a bivy night in the hail, and I had a frozen to the bivy bag, and the next night I was in the snow, and I thought, and it was quite windy, so I tried to set my tent up on the top so I could get signal and get good views, but the wind was so strong, it snapped the poles at the top. <laughs> so then I was like, oh. So then I packed it all up and dropped down a little bit, so just to near where there's like a little gully where the uh, stream running down the side was uh, and camped there. So then I had no signal for that night. So like, it makes Ooh, it a longer night. Yeah. Nothing to do. I can't tweet anything or put Instagram <laughs> pictures on or anything. <laughs> yeah, we, we do become reliant on it. And I, I suppose it's different for you because you were doing it day in, day out to, to most of the time. And when, when we go for one night, it's easy for us to go, I'm not touching that phone. I'm having a night with just myself in a tent on a mountain yeah. but when you're doing it day in day out and you're trying to update people as well and trying to well you, you when you've got ten thousand followers all f- trying to find out what you've done because you've told them where you're going and you can't update them that must be quite quite frustrating yeah i mean it was i like to do it to sort of there's one early on there's one day where i did, didn't have signal and it was a storm and it disappeared and i think a few people then were worried you know because i got some messages going oh we know you're okay but then i sort of made it clear that sometimes you just don't get signal so after that People are less concerned because you don't want to. Uh, you don't want to scare people, or you know, or, yeah. you know. But then I think as it went on, because my dad used to be worried. I used, he lives in the lake, so I saw him once a week. And he at first he was like, "Oh, you're not scared going out? It's not dangerous." But as the year went on, he was like, "I just think you can handle anything." And yeah, and you, I did get used to it. And the wind that one of the biggest things when you start off is the wind. Because I took my kids with me. And a couple of camps, and my daughter was just getting into it. So when the wind is so noisy, she's like, "Oh, I don't know if I can sleep." And it, that's the thing that gets a lot of first timers. Yeah. But as it sort of goes on, you get used to it to a point where I just didn't really, I didn't observe it till I got the tent out the bag and it was blowing away. And I'm like, "Oh, right, <laughs> I better tie it down." I've seen uh, some of your videos that you put on in bad weather, actually, and the tent literally just sort of buckling under the wind and then bouncing back and. Yeah, well, that must yeah. have been quite hairy. How many tents did you get through? I did. Well, I've sort of patched them all up and replaced poles and so on. But I started off with just two. I had like a really good uh, Vorde Terra Quattro that I'd had for 10 years. It was old, but it was three persons, so it was heavy to carry. But I always call that my storm tent because yeah. it's just the design is brilliant. And then I had like a cheap Nature Hike uh, cloud one that was just a one person one that I used a lot at the beginning. And then I tell that post snapped on that one, and it, it, that was the end of that one. Uh, and then I tried a lantern in the summer. It was really good for when you're doing long hikes yeah. and you got to carry the pole separately. But then you become one of these pole carriers with the pole in each hand, <laughs> which I didn't bother at the beginning. And then I started doing that, and that's what all of the the magazine writers have them. You know, all of the journalists for TJ and Trail always walk around with pole in each yeah. hand, and it becomes you start doing it, and then you carry them, and it. You think, oh, how do I manage without these poles? Because I need them, right? <laughs> it's like, and then once I got rid of that tent, I gave up on carrying them again. And I was like, oh, you just don't need them at all. It's so funny because then you just you walk differently or something. So 
I didn't have them beginning. I used them for a bit and then I gave up towards the end and just thought I'd just you know, stick the rucksack on my back and carry on. They are quite uh, strange. I've, I've only recently just started using them again. I used them years ago and I've not used them. And then I started re- recently using them. But what I find is it, it hinders you quite a bit because I'm a picture taker. I like to take pictures when I'm out and about. And it's just like, it's a faff, isn't it? Trying to get your, your poles yes. and everything sorted and you get your camera out or whatnot. It is a yeah. bit of a faff, but I can see the benefits of it if you're using the trekking pole tent. Yes, yeah. But it was kind of, I did, yeah. If you carried the, the sticks all the time, then definitely it's a good tent to get. Whereas I got the tent and then I had to start carrying the sticks for it, which was like, <laughs> are they even worse? You put them on the back of your rucksack. So then you've got these two poles that, whereas you can take these little thin ones or you've got that. But uh, yeah, so I had a good go with tents and I got this uh, Zempire Atmos tent, which was given, which was quite good, a nice one for summer. But no good in the wind. Well, it's not supposed to be good in the wind. Yeah. And then at the end, uh, Terra Nova gave me this one, which is, looks like the design's based on the Vorde, but it's much lighter. Um, so that's what got me through winter. Without that, I probably would have struggled. Well, yeah. I'd have carried on or found something. But it's funny how things arrive just at the right time. <laughs> yeah. Different, different times. So Yeah, definitely. So how many bivvies did you do then amongst amongst the yeah. 214? We did 30, right, about right. 30 bivvies, uh, and three caves, so they were really good, and one hammock camp, and then the rest were tents. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, so the bivvies were really good. So, uh, yeah, and I got more into that towards the end, because obviously the if you're just doing one night, they're very good, and in really strong winds, a bivvy bag is better than a tent. Yeah. A tent can't handle it, where you take your bivvy and you can scrouch down in it and everything. Yeah. And then, of course, we did this world record at the end because I wanted to celebrate the end in some way. And so earlier in the year, I had an idea of having, like, somebody wanted to meet up on the final mountain. But with wild camping, it goes against everything, having, like, yeah. you know, 100 tents all scattered around <laughs> or whatever. So we contacted the world record, and there wasn't one, thankfully, for bivvy bags, not surprisingly. Yeah. So uh, it was easy to try and get. So it was just the most people bivvying out on one night, but not intense, had to be bivvy bags or no poles was the end of being the rule. Yeah. Sort of distinguished. Because once you start looking into it, there's no there's no clear definition between the two because you've got a bivvy bag, which is what I did, just a bag in your mat. So yep. simple. But then you have hooped bivvies, which are just like a little tent, aren't they? They're shrunken <laughs> down tents. Yeah. Which, you know, I tried a couple of nights in them, but that wasn't for me. I don't particularly like sleeping in that because I feel like you're pegged down when there's no space. So yeah, you like can't really coffee. move about so much, can you? Yeah. So that they were my favourite, and then obviously you get little tents, and some people define a little tent as a bivy when you look, and there's fishing bivies, obviously, which are big tents. Yeah. So we did the rules, but in the end, we got one thousand three hundred eighty-seven people bivy bagging across the UK, where people in Eastern Europe, South Africa, and Alaska wow. somebody joined us, which is really cool. So. They wouldn't have all fit on the top of rock crags with me, would they? <laughs> journey. <laughs> yeah, it'd have been a busy night up there. There'd have been some locals down at the bottom wondering what on earth was going on as everybody yeah. approached. But yeah, that's exactly. amazing to get that many people on board. And I, I was watching because you set up a Facebook group for that as well, which I joined. And uh, there's a lot of people talking about it. And there was a, the, the biggest discussion, annoyingly, was can we use that? No, it's got poles. It says no poles. And everyone's like, just couldn't get their head around it, could they? <laughs> I know that became something which some people enjoyed doing. I think some people got a bit annoyed by it, but it was, I just didn't, you know, that was the rules. The rules were there. Yeah. They were clear as much as you can be, you know. 
and that's so, been that's been uh, it's been confirmed now, hasn't it, as a, a world record? Yes, yes, yes. yes. The so, most yes. amount of people bivying in one night. That's yeah, amazing. Winter bivy, yeah. So it's brilliant. So I don't know if we'll try and beat it in the summer again or not. I'm not. It was a lot of hard work, and it was a bit like being a school teacher in charge of a Facebook group. <laughs> you know, it was. Oh, I can't say that. I kept saying, please, everyone, be positive yeah. and don't insult each other. Because you think everybody on there supposedly likes bivying, and we're all doing it. And on the night, it was exactly that. There were groups of scouts there, so like scout leaders with all the scout kids, and there was like men on the road taking little pictures, like older people, seventy-year-olds doing it with a little holding up the fell asleep logo. And then there was like some mums and the kids doing it in like local places. So the whole atmosphere was really, really good in the final night, yeah. which is what I wanted. There was none of this pole, you know, discussions <laughs> on that time. It was came together really well, but the lead up to it was a lot of hard work. Yeah. Um, for some for something that was gonna be so geographically dis- dispersed as well. It's not something you could oversee, right? Everybody over here, no poles, I'm watching you. Yeah. It was literally yeah. you you from a remote location trying to manage this this world record attempt. Yeah. And so and it was just, yeah, it was good. It was a, the world record was good, and that was sort of, I probably got more people to do it than if it hadn't been the world record. But afterwards, that wasn't even really the main thing. It was just sort of enthusiasm people had, and people were just buzzing about it, going, yeah. oh, you know, I haven't been Vivian for 20 years, or I've never done it before, and I had a great night. Yeah. Obviously, it's tough, but, you know, pushed themselves outside of the normal comfort or what they'd normally do on a Saturday night on February. They've been out, they've done something, you know, they've had a big night, you know, like, uh, so yeah, it was brilliant. It was really good. Yeah, it is. And, it, and like you said, the world record attempts and the fact that you'd you'd built up to that, because that being your last one, it was quite an inspiration for people. And when you say things, when you, you hear things, uh, people saying, oh, I've not been bibbing for this many years. I've really enjoyed it. I'm really getting into it. And seeing that enthusiasm for people to want to get out, because I know a lot of people on that group weren't, your average wild camper and hiker, like the people that do it regularly for, as a hobby, no. these are people that wanted to do it because of what it was. But you, you, they'll they'll carry on doing it now because they've been out, they've bought yes. the kit, they enjoyed it, and they'll do it even more, which is great. Yes, yeah, I got. There's no take as many of the like celebrity Facebook campers or anyone the people who you might see across if you follow people on Instagram yeah. and Facebook. I mentioned to all of them, but in the end, they didn't were busy or doing their own things. Obviously, got their own projects and that type of thing on, but there was no no take-up from anybody like that. So everybody doing it were just sort of genuine more, you know, people who weren't, didn't have big social media followings and stuff. So People uh, not doing it because they know they're going to get 100 likes for it. That, yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is people nice. It. It's nice yeah. because yeah. we know that there's a lot of people on Instagram who have got a big following and they – I'm not saying they do it for the likes, but we know that they can do bivy and we know they can go camping because we've seen it. But to to get all of those people out of the 1,387, I think you said. Yeah, that's I, right. I, yeah. I thought that was correct. To get all of those out, even if 100 of those were brand new to sleeping outside, that's amazing to get that many people enthused by it. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It yeah. surprised me because when I started doing it, I thought, what do we need? Well, you know, there's a record for the biggest uh, line of tents and the record I think is 250 or something so uh, you have to if you're just three people it wouldn't have counted but I was hoping you could get a couple of hundred or something yeah. I thought that would be a big enough number to uh, qualify you know but then it just sort of spread and yeah take up so it was really good yeah. there's some people like always I don't know they didn't want grumpy people who were like I don't do the special or why am I you know put people's the people who go wild camping themselves or 
which is a bit, you know, it's just joining the fun, shouldn't they, really? Yeah. Natured. There's no, but that's some people anyway. So <laughs> can't convince everybody. I mean, like, even more. So let's talk about the the yellow bag because it's become quite a famous little thing, hasn't it, over the past year or so? The little yellow bag. So, what is the little yellow bag? Let's just because pe- right. some people yeah. might not have heard of it. Let's talk about it and what is it? Yeah. So the yellow bag at the beginning, I put all the two hundred fourteen Wainwright names. I printed them out, folded them up, and put them into a little yellow bag, uh, and shook it up. And the way I picked the mountains each day was just randomly. By putting my hand in the yellow bag, picking one out, reading which one it was, and then going and camping on it. And so as the year went on, I started to think the yellow bag sort of had a brain, or in fact, it was my brain inside the yellow bag. <laughs> and it sort of picked the white ones for me. And I began to trust it. So there was a day in January, there was a storm. And I was like, oh, it was really bad. It was the first storm of the big storm of the winter. So I think we got a bit used to them. But that one, Storm Arwin, I think it was called, or Anwin. Uh, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be camping. And it came up with Bessie Boots, and there was snow on the ground, and it was really like the skies were grey and thick, and it wasn't raining, but there was no visibility and such. And I was like, oh, I don't know. You know, I've done, I haven't not camped on one yet, but this is harsh because the wind's so strong and the snow. And then I looked in the Wainwright book, it was a reference, and he mentioned some caves on Bessie Boot that I didn't know about before, and I don't think many people do. So I was like, oh, it's a perfect place. So then it's a bit of a nerve, nervous hike to get to this cave. I had to battle up the stream and then there's a little ice ledge. I felt like it was in Himalayas or something. <laughs> Just a little one foot wide ledge around the foot of this cave and there's a huge drop down the side. So I'm like inching along there and then managed to find the caves. And inside, obviously, it's slightly warmer than it is outside and it's, there's no snow. It's flat ground and it's protected from the wind. And this one even had a little... A bit like an epiglottis in your mouth, this little dome at the entrance. You could go either side, but almost like a semi sort of bollard sort of protecting you. So behind that, managed to put my mat down and spend the night. And it was like, oh, wow. So it was like, yellow bag chose this for yeah. me. So uh, there was a couple of times I didn't do it. I did the Bob Graham round, and obviously we couldn't do the yellow bag then. So I just made sure I camped on mountains where there wasn't, hadn't already camped on. I took the names out afterwards. Yeah. And I had some sort of like mountain celebrities join me. So when they came along, I let them uh, choose. So Josh Naylor, for example, yeah. he's 19, a bit of a legend, but I wasn't going to force him to go what the yellow bag said. So <laughs> he took preference that day. We did Middle Fell, which I think is near where he lives. Right. Um, but most of the time I did that. It was just, and it was better for me rather than thinking what do I want to do or yeah, that indecision and will this be good or not. So I just sort of picked it out and, and followed it. It's, um, it was a great way to do it because you could have easily, in, in the same way that many people, if they they want to go and hike all the Wainwrights in one go, which we, we, we've seen, um, they will have a, a set route so that they can be as efficient as possible. You didn't do that. You didn't follow a route and say, right, well, I'm going to go and do two in one go because they're right next to each other. Um, you, you literally came all the way back down and you did them one by one. And that gave you more than just sleeping on top of that mountain. That gave you the walk up and the walk down and different routes and yes, even yeah. that in itself is makes that adventure so much more epic i think yeah they definitely i treat them all as unique mountains anyone knows a wayne right some of them are really close together some of the langdale ones you're talking 400 meters apart from the summit so yeah. you know there's no distance between them but to do them separately treat and 
and the, the way it worked out, obviously, they ended up being in different seasons. You know, it was all a mixture. So I didn't want to do the Far Eastern fells in spring and then the Central fells in summer or anything like that. And before I started, I was trying to think of what route to do or how would you do it. And then the randomness was just sort of the best, the best idea. And then I had some like, mathematician friends look at the numbers. And I find this fascinating. Most people, when I say it, are like, uh, they don't get it. But you only need 14 mountains in the in so the 14 big Himalayan ones or 14 Wainwrights for everybody in the whole planet, all 7 billion people, to climb them in a different order. So you think only 14 mountains, we could all do them in a different order. You got that one first, I do this one. So 214 mountains, like the different yeah. possibilities. There's more more possibilities of climbing them in different orders than there are atoms in the universe. Wow. So, you know, if you <laughs> want to do it, so you won't be doing the same sleeping with Wayne right round as me. You'd, you'd do your own. And everybody would have their own experience of doing it, which is what I like. So it's not sort of competitive. It's not something... Somebody wants to do it again, they'll have yeah. a great adventure. It's not, they're not going to come and beat my time because it was spread equally across a year in the different seasons. So you could do it consecutively, it'd be different, but then you'd miss out a season, wouldn't you? So you'd, you wouldn't experience everything. Yeah, that's so, it. Like you say, when you think about it, there are so many different ways in which you could, you could do that challenge. And you can take as long as you want doing it. Like you said, you don't have to do it all in one year. You don't have to do it all yeah. in five years. You can just do it however you want and just tick them off as you go and, and create your own your own story, as it were. It probably won't be a number one bestseller yeah. <laughs> like yours. <laughs> yes, very well. The book, yes, excellent. Yeah, I mean, going back a sec, before we talk about the book, yeah. which I would love to talk about. Uh, yeah, my partner, Doro, Oh, Mrs. Mrs. Bivy, Bivy yeah. Yeah, after her first Bivy bag experience, she'd never been Bivying before. She became Mrs. Bivy. She's done 30 of them now. So she's been on 30 wild Wainwright camps. Yeah. So there's like, she's, well, I don't know. She might carry on and do them all and at some point. You know, it's like a long term thing. But like you said, it wouldn't be. If she keeps going at this rate, it's going to take nine or 10 years to finish them all, eight years. So, you know, it's a long time to do it all. But, uh, yeah, it was brilliant. Well, yeah. you did like a little holiday together, didn't you? You did the Bob Graham round together, didn't you? Yes. Last year. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was quite... terrible weather. That was yeah. a summer holiday. The weather yeah. was awful, I remember. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just poured down nonstop. Day out. Yes, wind. It was summer, so... The temperatures weren't freezing, but the rain and the, we were just wet all the time. Yeah. And, you know, we just carried on. And she's tougher than me because I could have easily given up at some point on that round, I think. Like, there's bits you don't see on the thing where I'm bent over, <laughs> getting angry or something or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, she was just calm. She wanted an adventure. She'd never done anything like it before. So, like, for her, you're quite new to wild camping and everything and so for her it was this really big adventure that she'd always wanted yeah. and we carried on going and we were determined to finish and when we did so we had five nights camping uh and then got back to mutal at the end to complete it which was like yeah i felt really good it was it's a lot of fun yeah she got right That's into it. it didn't she by the look of it um, to, like you said yeah. to have done 30 of them as well that even that is is amazing because that wasn't her challenge, you know, but to do 30 no. and even to do one, if that weather was awful, it could have easily put her off, <laughs> in it? But And yeah. to carry on and do do all 30 of those, that's amazing. Oh, I know. I'm lucky to find someone like that. Yeah, definitely. So she likes doing it. We're going back in two weeks' time, so I've not done any camping since I finished. 
but we sort of now have got used to not doing it. So we're looking at the weekends now when we can go. So two weeks time, we're going to go back to the lakes and do either Saturday night or maybe Friday, Saturday night camping somewhere. But we have to choose now. Well, so I was going to say, how are you going to choose? Is it going to be the yellow bag? <laughs> No, exactly. It won't be that. So we'll have to choose. Well, I won't choose, to be honest. It'll be her that chooses. So I've got a feeling it'll be Great Gable because we got to the top of that, but you couldn't see anything. It was all cloudy and misty and everything, and that was one she wants to get to and see. She loved Kirk Fell. I think that's one of her favourite ones. Yeah. When we did a couple of days camping, we hiked through Ennerdale Valley and up to Kirk Fell and then over to Pillar. And she was like, can we not just nip up to see Great Gable on the way? And I'm like, it's a long way. <laughs> Unfinished <laughs> business. <laughs> Just to nip up and that, you know. <laughs> Just pop so, up there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that'll be good then. So you're back on it, and no doubt you'll probably you'll probably find now that you'll be you'll be following in her footsteps because she'll want to complete them now. Um, yes. As will yeah. many other people. So you'll probably be doing them all again at some point, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, this, I love doing them. I'd happily do the carry on doing them for all, you know. Yeah. At one point, I'd thought about becoming some sort of guide and. Yeah. What I'm going to do after this was taking people, but she's put a no to that. She thinks it's too like cosy to be taking women up the mountains, <laughs> leaving the tent next to them. <laughs> yeah, you can't really uh, stipulate no no women. No, <laughs> you exactly, can't do that, no. can you? Crowd. So, but, but that is a great idea. Um, obviously, th- there's the there's the, the complexities that come with that, but and we'll come on to that in just a second. I think it's probably worth talking about. But yeah, I think the idea of it is great because there's so many people that I've spoken to that would love to go wild camping, but just haven't quite got the minerals to do it just yet. They don't fancy going up into the hills on their own, or they haven't got the confidence to do it or whatnot. But um, to to go with people, it, it makes it so much easier, doesn't it? And for somebody with your experience now of camping up yeah. on mountains, it'd be a great, great way to go. See, that's what I thought before that. I, yeah, they'd be able to get some customers, wouldn't it? And then, you know, I'm the only person who's done all of them. So that's, you know, you put that on your advertising. Yeah. It's, it's a bit like the wild swimming. Like, I've been wild swimming for years all my life. You turn up, you go in a lake, you don't think anything to it. But then there's a whole business now. There's wild swimming people. There's a shop yeah. in Ambleside. They've got enough money to have a shop and take people wild swimming. Yeah. And people come up from London and they're like, oh, what do we do? Well, give me some money and I'll take yeah. you to the lake and then you swim. And then That's come, it. It's, it's only you know? the same thing. It's selling yeah. It's selling yeah. an experience with your knowledge and that, that yes. that's unique, yeah. isn't it? So Yeah. So I don't know. I am still... That was quite a funny, different story. But the same day my book came out, it went straight to number one in the Amazon hiking <laughs> and climbing charts or whatever. <laughs> I was at the Preston Job Centre. Queuing <laughs> up. Irony. Irony. Yeah, yeah. Queuing up to see what job I could do now I've finished. But, uh... <laughs> wow, that is irony, yeah. isn't it? Have you got anything in the pipeline yet? or? No, I'm not, I want to do something outside. I worked in banking before, but I can't go back to that after this year. So... It's polar uh, opposites, isn't it? Being outside yeah. and being in a bank. Yeah. I wanted something outside, something I'm still under the skies, walking around all day. That's sort yeah. of what I've stipulated. So, uh, yeah, something will come along. Uh, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it would be a waste now, I think, to have that knowledge of, well, the mountains, have that knowledge of wild camping and being outdoors. It, it would be a waste, I think. So I, I hope you can yeah. get something like that. But, yeah, what I wanted to talk about is, the complexities of that and it kind of popped into my head when you mentioned about 
the the bivy world record if everybody was all up in one place and you said it it goes against everything that you you're trying to achieve and it goes against the leave no trace principles doesn't it and that's the difficulty when it comes to wild camping because that is another big question that we tend to see um coming up on social media is wild camping legal in the uk well the bottom line is no uh, but it's a gray area isn't it and uh, the leave no trace that, that is the bit that we need to hammer home to everybody and uh i suppose you must have had people say oh you're doing it and it's not legal like i haven't uh, have you not heard anybody say that no nobody's come along and said you can't camp there nobody's said that and Obviously, I try and put my tent up late and leave early, but the few times my tent's been up there and walkers have come past, they've actually been really interested. I remember yeah. being on Randale Knots and there some people coming up and it was drizzling and it was sort of autumn. I put the tent up about four o'clock, so there's still a bit of daylight. And I think, was it a bit early? But And a couple of sort of hiking up. When they got there, they were really interested. Oh, he's camping up here. This is amazing views over the lake and everything. So they were quite nice. So I was like, oh, that's good. You're not like, What's your tent doing over here type of thing? So people loved it. Yeah. Yeah, there's no trace is obviously the big thing. So that was one of my key, you know, things to mention at the beginning. And the more you mention it, it becomes a lot of diminishing returns because people hear it and, oh, yeah. Yeah, that is the issue. It's just a phrase and then people pay lip service to it. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it really means just leave it because I don't understand why anybody, if you're going to take the effort of going camping, it's because you love doing it and you love the late district and you're, I want to come back again. And when I go back to that spot, if it's a year later or six months later or a week later, I don't want to find it trashed or burnt. I mean, I never had fires. I didn't have a fire because that spoils it, doesn't it? It's ugly. Yeah. I saw a couple of fires. There's one on Glen Ridding Dodd, I think. Someone had had a little fire on the summit. And there's this big burnt circle. In there. And they're obviously enjoying the fire, but then it leaves a scar, doesn't it? So I'm it against does, yeah. all of that. They shouldn't be. You shouldn't do that. Um, no, because when, we, when we're trying to... Because we know it's not legal. Um, it's complex. We know it's not legal because it's private land. It's owned by the National Trust or whatnot. And yet it is accepted um, or not accepted. Yeah, I mean, it's not illegal. It's not illi- a, yeah, it's, not illegal. it's yeah. like a civil thing, isn't it? Like a trespass yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So it is difficult. But actually to enjoy it and to carry on enjoying it and to be allowed that semi-freedom in commas, inverted commas, then we we have got to leave no trace. We can't be we can't be leaving anything to to for people to know we've been there. And fires are the worst thing you can do when you're on public land. I've got nothing against a fire if you're on uh, if you're on a campsite or you're on private land where it's being allowed. Yes. But to do it up on the hills where some people are just going out for a hike, they don't want to see that. Um, yeah. And it, and it ruins the landscape. So yeah, I, I get that. You know, you've got to keep it nice. Yeah. So there's a bit of chapter in my book about the legality of wild camping, and obviously. In the Lake District, there's a big history of it. So they encourage it as long as you keep within the rules. So the National Trust and the National Park Authority have their guidelines, which is if you've got to be high up, small groups, leave no trace. Uh, and then it depends on the landowner's permission to so the section on who owns the mountains. Uh, so National Trust own a few, United Utilities own some, and some of the biggest states. Uh, the Dalmain estate or and the rest. And as long as you keep within the rules, they're all permissive. So, you know, I checked, I wasn't good. There would have been no problem camping on the way, right? So I did it properly. And the answer came back with was yes, because I was saying, yeah. I didn't want to be like, oh, this guy's breaking the law camping on there, because they want you to do it. Yes. And I hope these, the big uh, National Trust and the National Park sort of see what I've done as a good example of wild camping. Oh, definitely. And, uh, yeah. A good advert for how to do it properly. 
and how you can do it and not damage the landscape and how to, uh, you know, yeah, leave no trace because they know the numbers are increasing as more and more people like it. And then that's a different issue. But I tell you what, there's so much space up there at the moment at night. It's not going to be a... <laughs> it's not going to be overcrowded anytime soon. No, it's not going to be full anytime soon. <laughs> you know, and I sort of do a lot of summit camping or camping on the mountain. A lot of people when they go back, I think of tarns and it's like a natural human urge or animal urge to find a watering hole and sit around the watering hole. And that's what I used to do, go to Angle Tarn like 10 years ago because it's yeah. a lovely spot. And that's where people tend to go at the beginning of the wild camping. And then as you move away, you get better sunsets and sunrises from the mountain tops. So it's like the highest level of camping. I phrase it in like double meaning, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think Angle Tarn is probably the most popular wild camping spot almost almost unwild um yes. and again you say it's a natural urge for us as humans to be near a water source it wouldn't surprise me if angletown attracts people because they know there's going to be someone nearby just in case yes. and you do yeah. like you say you do get a lot of novice wild campers head that way um i've never been there myself i've never right. i've never been to to angletown's uh, no. camping i always and this is just me, I always want to be the furthest away from anybody yeah, else. So when yeah, I've yeah. done it, I, I just keep right out of the way, go to the quieter fells, just keep yes. out of the way. But I can understand why, if people aren't quite confident doing it, might go near yeah, people. Yeah, I, I think I read someone's story about that or post that the reason they chose that for the first one was because they knew there would be people there if they got in trouble. And Yeah. yeah I'm starting to be like, you are like, I like people, don't get me wrong, it's, but it's funny, but I also like being on my own and I'm quite yeah. happy for that type of thing. So, yeah, it's good. But I took my little kids there when they're really young to Angle Town because the walk's hard, but not too long. So it's yeah. horrible, steep hill. It's like, oh, and then it's only like an hour and a quarter to the town so that they can manage it when they're about six years old, I think. And it was just at one at a time. And we always talked about, oh, wouldn't it be great to bring a dinghy up here and stuff? And all those <laughs> Somebody would have to carry that up, wouldn't it? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that probably goes against the Lake District side of things as well, isn't yeah. it? Like, they probably don't want that. <laughs> no, not, not loads of dinghies on Angle Tower. So let's start talking about the book then. We've got to introduce it as the number one bestseller. I know I've already mentioned it. The number one bestseller on Amazon, uh, Fell Asleep by Russ Morehouse, a mountain bivvy. Uh, so let's talk about it. What made you want to do that? Was that something that you planned to do before you started doing the adventure? Was it something that just sort of clicked into place whilst you were doing the adventure? No, I think I wanted to do it before because the background was I've read all the mountain books there are, you know, so I used to follow the Boardman Tasker Prize. So I've read at Herman Buell. He was the first person to climb Nanga Parbat. He's like my favourite hero mountaineer. And he did his like standing up bivouac coming down. <laughs> from uh, the mountain, which is what I sort of recreated on Jack's Rake. So I had a bivy on Jack's Rake for the night. I didn't stand up. I sat down on the ledge because it's a bit too hard to stand up all night. <laughs> sleep, and I didn't need to. But there was still a massive drop down. So that was like my homage to him. Uh, and all like the first people to climb Everest and all of the other. Annapurna as a book is probably my favourite mountain book by the Frenchman Maurice Herzog. So it's a true story, but it's also kind of an adventure book. So it reads as a, like, it could always be made up, so, like, the way it flows, it's not just, like, a factual book. Yeah. And that's kind of their inspirations for my story. And then Nan Shepherd, who writes really lovely prose about the landscape, and Ronald Turnbull I've mentioned, and then more modern books like Uli Stick. I've read his book about he climbed the Ivory in less than three hours. So, wow. obviously, 
I read the original books and people dying on it and the famous North Face film that most people like outdoors have seen at some point. So all of these books, I had bookshelves full of them and it was all, you know, well, I'm just reading about these people. Why am I sat here working in the bank reading about them? And then that went on for a few years and I got to say, so I'm just going to do it. And then this idea came along, like I mentioned at the beginning. So I'm not capable of climbing these big ones, but I still I wanted a long time adventure in the mountains and something that hadn't been done before. So that appealed. Yeah. So I always wanted to write a book. So I, the adventure and the books all came hand in hand and I've got somewhere on Instagram on the story. I put at the beginning, what the book would be, would people want to buy to the end? And my aim was to get the book entered into the Boardman Tasker award, which I don't think it can be because you have to have a publisher for that. I and mean, it's just impossible to find a publisher. So in the end, I've just done it myself through Amazon, which yeah. is the way. If it does well enough, then you attract a publisher afterwards and then they come and take all your money off you or whatever. But, <laughs> uh, you know, but nowadays you can do so much yourself anyway. I'm quite happy with the design and the story's all mine. You have full control over it. So I wanted to do the book and I wanted it to be like a lovely story. I wanted it to be a book for for myself, really. So if I was sat before I went to them on the adventure or in 10 years' time when I'm back to sitting in my bed, I want to read it and I just read the book. And it takes me to the mountains. Yeah. So that's what I used to do. It's not a book to read fast. It's not a story to go and read it as quickly because it doesn't really work like that. It's a yeah. case of reading like the page, looking at the photograph, and just like makes you feel like you're in the mountains. So when you're in your house, in your town or city, in the Lake District trips three weeks till you go again, and you're like, oh, I'm looking forward to that. So this is just something to read to help you, you know, imagine what it'd be like and to look forward to it. So yeah. One of the feedbacks was like, it's a set of love letters to the mountains because each, <laughs> each mountain has its own page. So that yeah. like that's what I was going to ask that. you about, the, the sort of breakdown of it, because I know you, it's not a story of like a biography almost. It's not like that, is it? It is yeah. set in chapters like like that. Each mountain has its own little story, I guess. Yes. Um, so what sort of things are we looking at then? Um, let's just talk about one particular mountain. What sort of account are you writing down in that about one particular mountain? Right. So we pick Helvellyn then, for example. I have the same sort of outline for all of the mountains. So there's a bit about the mountain, ad- the adventure, I call it, and it has a different title. So that depends on whether it's just what I get up to that day or if I've got like a celebrity joining me or if there's another mountain interesting fact about something. Then I put that in there. And then there's a section called the mountain camp which is just about what it's like to camp on the mountain. So it's not a guide, but there's information in there that you can use. And if you go while camping, you might think, oh, that sounds good. I didn't know about that or something. So it's what they call it, um, like gentle wisdom, somebody described. Yeah. So I'm not telling people what to do or anything. It's no good. If you want something to explain how to go while camping, you need to buy a different book. It's more just about the feel and like the romance of while camping. And that side of things. And then there's a picture for each one. So like, you know, uh, an award-winning photography or one of the pictures made the front cover of the magazine. So uh, high-quality pictures, I like to think. And so the books, I'm going to bring it down four four bits. Because of the pictures and the printing costs, it's divided up into seasons. So I think it's about 25,000 words in the book and then 55 pictures. And they say a picture's worth 1,000 words. So that's 80,000 words, which is what you're supposed <laughs> to have in a book. So people need to spend time looking at the pictures as well uh, to get a feel of it. So the first book that's out then, it came out two days ago, three days ago? Yeah, oh, I think, yes. 
yeah, Friday night thing, but then they turned up yesterday, so like you have to order it, and then they print them off when people order it. So there's no big backlog of them; it's just when people buy them. So yeah, people are off the market. So they started turning up people's houses yesterday. So there were lots of pictures of the books. Yeah, I've seen loads, loads on social media. I have yeah. seen loads. Number one bestseller, and it has yes. risen too number one point on the Amazon market, yes. hasn't it? So yeah, yeah. that's an achievement in itself. I know, yeah. I mean, that was, yeah, I hadn't expected that. And then I was looking the other day through all the books in the different categories on Amazon. There's camping and but climbing and mountaineering is what, you know, I, I really liked, you know. And I was looking through that list. So there's the famous ones like Into the Touching the Void. Yeah. Uh, famous book, uh, Into Thin Air, the John Crackner story of life and death and everything. <laughs> like Nims's book, Nan Shepherd's book. <laughs> K2 books, and then there's my book up there with them and stuff ahead of them. I'm like, what? What's going on? I can't believe it. What an achievement. Exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mine obviously might drop down quite quickly once the initial excitement goes, I suppose. But hopefully it doesn't, and hopefully it builds and people tell people about it. Because it's, you know, it's like it's hatched now, isn't it? And it depends on word of mouth as much as anything, and people – think about hear it oh it's worth getting and they like that sort of book so definitely and and it'll inspire people to wanting to do it we've already had the big inspirational push of the world record attempt vivian in one night and this is another way for people to go actually i quite fancy doing that that sounds amazing i want to do my own little story of camping on the wainwrights and it's a guide that you take with you and for me i think that'd be a great thing to have in your hand whilst you're sleeping on the fells one night and just read up on that mountain whilst you sat there and try yeah. and connect with it. Yes, yeah, exactly. I think one chap bought the book, he had bought it on Kindle so he could get it straight away and he was on a Lake District course this weekend and he's put comments on saying, oh, it's a perfect place to read it because he's in the mountains, he's reading about it. So that's what I wanted. Or, you know, like I said, if you read it at home, it helps you dream of the mountains, you know, it makes you want to go there. Or if you're going to climb the Wainwrights and just walk in them, you might want to read that page yeah. on that mountain just to get an idea of well, what it'd be like to camp on or something, you know. So mentioned yeah. a few little secrets I've discovered from being up there, you know, extra little bits that uh well Wainwright sort of knew most of them, but uh yeah. That was good. So I'm I'm happy with it. At the end of it, I just wanted to be happy with what how it is and yeah now that's done. I'm sort of the other one's gonna next one's gonna bring them out. Like every three months or so, the same anniversary of when I was camping. So this spring one's out now because a year ago I was camping. And then I'll bring the summer one out in beginning of the summer season, which is so June, so the beginning of June, the next one I should have ready for then and then so on. So it, it finishes. Oh, it's it's an exciting prospect. It really is. And I've not yet received my copy, but I'll, I'll be right. uh, I'm waiting. But yeah, exciting times. I'll be looking forward to reading that and obviously I'll plaster it all over social media, of course. Um, everybody should just, if you fancy wild camping, if you fancy you're a lover of the Lake District even, or you just want to hear about that story, it's a perfect it's a perfect book to get, I think. £15 on Amazon. You can order yes. it right away and it'll be here with you in a couple of days, no doubt. And it's great, not only if you, you want that inspiration, but also to support Russ in, in what he's done over the past 12 months and like a bit of an appreciation, I guess. Because yes. it's been an entertaining story as well. For those that have you followed have followed you on social media, like myself, 
it's been it's been entertaining. I've I've been excited to see your stories come up each day and say, right, where's he going today? Where's the yellow bag going to take him? And I've, I've always w- I wanted to see where you're going every day. It's been great. It's been really really interesting to follow over the past over the past year. I really enjoyed it. So yeah, I would urge anybody to to if you haven't already and this is the first time you've heard of Russ, go on the social media, follow him, look at some of the pictures and things that he's done, get an idea of it, and then and then order the book. Why not order the book? It's only fifteen pounds. You'd probably pay that for a, a, a takeaway. So just go and enjoy it. Um, <laughs> definitely, a little plug there for you. I'm, Thank you very I'm much. Thank not you, a problem at all. Um, one other thing that I wanted to talk to you about was the fact that over the past twelve months, you said you, you've sort of gone from banker to where you are now. But in that process as well, you've been recognised quite a bit because you also got nominated, didn't you, in the Great Outdoors magazine um, for the outdoor personality award yeah yeah i've got i've got a second rate personality or the second best personality <laughs> in the outdoors yeah yeah of it yeah so behind chris packham no less yeah so, he was in the category so it must be nice to win but like chris don't mind coming second to chris packham because he's world famous isn't he's he? massive yeah, yeah you know so it sounds better yes so that yes. was good yeah so that's what the prize was when there isn't a prize, kudos. So I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I didn't even get a little trophy to hold up or anything. Not so, even a free subscription to the magazine. Not even that, no. No, I didn't. <laughs> but you've, but uh, you've, there's a couple of articles out there as well, and you've been in Trail Magazine as well. So Yes, yeah. yeah it's... Um, mm-hmm. I've seen I've seen both of those articles. They're very very good, and uh, it's just little bits of publicity and getting recognised for doing something that is unique. I think that's quite quite an achievement. Also, you uh, spoke at Kendall as well, didn't you? Yeah, Kendall Mountain Festival asked me to yeah. speak as well. So that was uh, well, <laughs> it was good. I actually got to it. So I'm a bit rubbish beforehand because I like being on the mountains on my own. So the, leading up to it, I was getting all nervous and giddy and. I brought out this movie called The Bivy Grinch, where I was like, <laughs> reworded the famous Grinch poem into the bivy. So I was like on the mountaintops, hating everyone in Kendall. And and I jokingly said, because I was, I was on at half 10 in the morning on the first day, I'm like, I'm opening the Kendall Mountain Festival. And I put it all over social media. <laughs> and then the organizers wrote to me, you do realize there are other people going to be there as well. <laughs> and I, was like, I was just joking. I thought I was trying to. Steal the limelight from everybody else. <laughs> even though you you did. A bit like the Grinch, you did, and you, they didn't even realise you did it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Now, I think that um, I need to ask you this question because we, we did touch on it. You spoke about maybe sleeping with whales. What is your plans now? You must have some kind of idea of what you want to do, whether it's achievable or not. What is your plans for the future? Yes, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, I just I like the camping, and so I want to carry on doing this. So my in, initial plan is to uh, finish the book series. If I was going to do something like Sleeping with Whales, that would be the perfect time to start is spring again. So, you know, something that's in the back of my mind, even though I'm not admitted. But if it's starting March again, then you've got the 12 months, because you don't want to start any camping marathon like that in winter and have the no. first bit. You'd probably give up. Like, I do think if I started in December... Would I have got through that period and carried on, or I might have thought, oh, "What am I doing?" You know, yeah. And just at that point, day after day of the wet and the toughness. But once you've done 180 camps, it was just sort of like getting through it. So yeah. whether I'll do sleeping with whales, yeah, perhaps I might do that. Um, but whether I do a big adventure like that or not, I'll definitely be going back to the mountains and camping and spending lots of time doing the same sort of thing because that's 
that's was my hobby before, and it was almost like a job for the year, and it's my hobby yeah. again. So uh, we shall just see. But uh, yeah, I don't know if there's any other ideas come along. There's different ones I've been looking up. The Pyrenees, which might be a bit warmer, they have. I think it's 160 mountains above 3,000 meters or something. So they're like wow. the big ones are there. So that might be something to do. Oof, that would be epic, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that would yes. be a different ball game, <laughs> <laughs> especially if you're doing them all one at a time. <laughs> yes, yeah, up and down. Yeah, so I don't know about that. But... Well, could be exciting times ahead. Then we'll have to see. Um, yeah. Exciting to, to to find out what you what you do come up with next. Um, but I think for now, then, how can people follow you on social media? Where can we look for you? Yeah, so on Instagram, I'm at a mountain bivy. Uh, and on all social media, it's at a mountain bivy, but Instagram tends to be the main one. I put bits on Twitter and Facebook. Um, yes, and coming up, there's a few more articles coming out in the magazines. Sunday newspapers got in touch over the weekend, so the Times and the Telegraph. So might be something coming in there, hopefully. It should be quite nice. A bit of a tension at the end to finish it off Yeah. With. And then um, I suppose what I'd really like to do is get my book to be big enough so I can be one of these people who goes around Standing up, talking about my book in front of people. Yeah, you know, definitely. That so the big, the big thing is buy the book, leave loads yes. of good reviews. Yes, good reviews. That's what yeah. I want, please. Somebody, some troll left a negative review before they'd even read it. I so saw that. In, and I'm like, the, heck, the books took two days to get sent out, so they obviously hadn't even got it. I think it's some of the jealous wild camper. The few people making comments about, oh, it's been done before, and I'm like, well. God, if someone's done it, who is it? I'm interested to find out. I yeah. take the hand of someone who's done it before because I don't mind. <laughs> I want someone else to do it again afterwards. Or <laughs> they just poo-pooed it. So I don't know how. I'll have to get used to that, won't I? It's- well, that's what happens when you're in the limelight, Russ. That's yeah. it now. You're yeah. up there. You're yeah. in, the, you're in the, the spotlight, aren't you? So, yeah, you've got to get used <laughs> to those negative trolls, unfortunately. Kind of bad. This is the dark side coming out. But when I finished last week, I thought the next Wainwright round there could be was to buy 214 cans of Wainwrights, <laughs> sit drinking them, and post them one at a time every time I drank them. Because I've not drank for about six years. Like, so it uh, doesn't really agree with me in the younger days. So, uh, But I was just thinking that it's a big low when you finish a big adventure like that, you know. Yeah. So thankfully, I've managed to avoid that. But I don't know what the record is for the f- fastest person to drink 214 Wainwright cans. I don't yeah, think they probably, probably haven't survived to, to tell the tale. <laughs> so I hope, hope that isn't my next adventure. No, right. don't do that one. It's not recommended to anybody to try that in one go. Maybe no. one a night whilst you're doing the 214 fells, probably acceptable. Probably don't do them all at once. <laughs> that, that should come with a health risk of that <laughs> also we need to just quickly point out before we finish it i think it'd be a massive wasted opportunity if we didn't mention the the amount of uh the fundraising that you've done uh, as a result of, of camping or sleeping with wainwrights the, the fell asleep story um you've you've raised a lot of money as well do you want to talk about that yes yeah so the, the charity i had from the beginning was mq mental health research because to me mental health played a big significant part of my life. I've got a diagnosis or EUPD, uh, which affects certain things and the way my life has gone. So um, I, don't, I don't need to go into all the details of that, but that's an issue. And then I have children and the way the world is at the moment and the way, you know, the businesses, what work jobs I've had to do just to survive, where it's just, you know, in the country like that. So 
that's an issue that, and you can see the causes of it, you know. Whereas Camden on the Mountain, you have great mental health. So I'm almost like, yeah. you can't reverse the way people are taking us, isn't it? But in the transition between animals, when we all turn into computer cyborgs, it's not very good for us. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, mental health research do a lot of funding into that and try and understand more about it. And obviously, I think the more we more understand more about it, then there'll be pressure on companies not to treat workers as they do, you know. And, yeah. and then people are, you know. Everyone should have a week in the mountains a year just to help sort of things out. So I raised money for that. So we got did that at the beginning, and we raised about three thousand. And then in the first month, and I didn't like having the just giving all the time because it was a bit like it's another target, and it was oh how much have you raised? So I took that down. And during the year, everyone just donated money directly to MQ Mental Health. And then just for the final big push, we're doing the bivy bag thing. I thought we'll just do that for just one event for like one day. So. We got over ten thousand pounds on that one as well, which was uh, wow, excellent. Yeah, so that was a uh, very good. So still open for more donations if uh, anybody wants to. I think it's a just giving page and a world record bivy bag attempt. Yeah, and and well, like I said before, we, you you've got your uh, your link tree, haven't you? As it's known yes. on, on your Instagram, yeah. so I'll copy that link and put it into the show notes. Anybody wants to buy the book? Anybody wants to follow you on Instagram? Anybody wants to donate to the the, the fundraiser yeah um they, all the links will be there and I'll, I'll pop them onto the show notes as well so that everybody can follow that um but other than that i think it what you've done has been a massive inspiration to a lot of people it's been a massive fantastic achievement and and i i, I hope that you can go off and do other things that now you enjoy doing um as a result of that because i know it's, it's inspired you to want to work outdoors and i hope that that can that can be a plan for you i really hope it is um and i want to thank you very much for coming onto the podcast brilliant thanks ryan thank you for having me thank you please go and check out russ's book fell asleep on amazon you'll see the link in the show notes I've been reading it over the past two weeks and uh, I'm just doing one one of the Wainwrights fell each night and it's a great insight to the impression that a hill or a mountain can have on us as individuals and it really does inspire me to want to get out more and do some more wild camping this year. I've got lots to look forward to because I don't know if I mentioned it all over social media but actually I won a competition. Little old me, can you believe it? I've mentioned before that I'm booked on to do a trek to Kilimanjaro with a company called Evertrek, uh, which is a, a British company, so check them out if you, you fancy doing a bucket list kind of thing. Um, and they had a competition to win a trek to Everest Base Camp, and I only went and won it. So I've been really excited, and the best news is I get to take someone with me. This is the bit where you hear a drum roll. However, the bad news for you lot is my wife has 100% already claimed that place. If you've enjoyed listening, please hit follow, spread the word and leave a five-star rating on iTunes or Spotify. It would mean the world to me and it helps with all the algorithms in the podcast charts and makes it easier to find for new listeners. You can also support me in the podcast by buying me a coffee. A small donation goes a long way with the overheads of running the podcast and I'd really appreciate it. Take care, keep putting one foot in front of the other and I'll see you all next time.